The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. 1 Kings chapter 3, we continue our study on prophets and kings. This morning we look at a guy named Solomon. Solomon. Uh, while you are doing that, let me call your attention to a couple of quick things. First of all, ladies, the women's retreat is October 12 through 14. There are less than 40 slots left. Cynthia Hill is a speaker there. Many of you have uh, met Cynthia along the way. She's spoken here before. She and her husband, Jack, lived here a long time ago. He was a veterinarian in Temple, and uh, she has written numerous books on ladies or two directed towards ladies and women. Excellent time away. Alpha, if you don't know about Alpha, Alpha started last week. It's not too late to join in. And uh, Alpha takes place on Wednesday evenings in the chapel in that area. Uh, There's a table in the hallway you can find out about. One of the things we do to participate in Alpha, if we're not part of it, is we provide desserts for them. And we still need a few desserts over the course of the year. The current rack in the hallway has these inserts. The orange insert is about Alpha. Some of you are saying, boy, our marriage could use a little tune-up or more than a tune-up. It needs way more than that. Uh, There's an opportunity starting next week. Intimate Encounters class takes place eight weeks Uh, The Palmers are leading that. If you're 60 and older, there's a table in the hallway out there for you to participate in stuff. Current racks have all the information as well as our website. So uh, take a minute, stop there, pull out what uh, applies to you or you desire to have information about. Our desire is to get you in the Word uh, daily so that you can grow in your relationship with Christ. So we provide for you in the hallway. A daily walk will take you through the Bible in a year, closer walk the New Testament in a year. Daily bread is a brief devotional you can use daily. Feel free to pick those up. They're all free in the hallway. And after you use it for a couple of months, you can order your own subscription after that. Prophets and Kings. Oftentimes, prophets were outside the city and invited in to speak into the life of the king. Last week, we saw Nathan the prophet going into the throne room of David and speaking to him. The week before, we saw Samuel calling Saul out, the first king of Israel. Before that, it was Moses pointing to Pharaoh. This week is quite interesting. We look at the third king of the nation of Israel. His name is Solomon. We look at Solomon's life. It's interesting. We don't see a prophet in his life until close to the end. No one's speaking into his life until the end. The question is, why not? Why not? And what can we learn from King Solomon? Let's pray one more time. Father, we need you to touch us in deep places. Spirit of God, I need you to guide me in truth as I teach the word. And so we ask you to fill us each and to fill this place with your presence in Christ's name. Amen. A lot of times we do not listen. And uh, I think that's true in Solomon's life. You remember the story of Teddy Roosevelt? I've used it before. He's at a gala ball. People are coming up to take pictures with uh, he and Mrs. Roosevelt. And he realized probably nobody was listening to a word that he was saying. They would exchange pleasantries along the way at the ball. They could barely hear him. Most of them would say, yeah, good day, Mr. President. Nice to be with you, Mr. President. And uh, just nod, not really paying attention to what he said. So he decided to play a game with those who were there. And as they would walk up and exchange pleasantries, he would kind of say under his breath, I murdered my mother-in-law this morning. And they would respond, great, Mr. President, wonderful, lovely, keep up the good work, one of them said. And then finally he said it to another person, a diplomat from another country, I murdered my mother-in-law today, and he leaned into Roosevelt's ear and said, I'm sure she had it coming to her, Mr. President. (laughs) We don't listen. That was Solomon. God's word was spoken clearly to Solomon. 
We have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Solomon had that. He could understand the oral tradition. He had the writing of the Torah. And Solomon knew what God had said about the way he should behave individually as a man of God and also as a king over Israel. The word of God was clear. I'll show it to you in a couple of minutes. But Solomon didn't listen to God's instructions. In fact, Solomon does not have a prophet speaking to his life. And as I've reread the story of Solomon over and over, I don't find a single place where advisors were called into Solomon's presence to give him advice to rule over Israel. Maybe they did. It's not recorded in the scriptures for us, though. And so we look at this. We have to ask some penetrating questions. Why? I mean, why, Solomon? Why, why, why is there not a prophet? Why are there not court advisors? Why, why do we not see that? I'm sure those folks are there, but the Scripture did not give us any of that. Why not? Well, as you know, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and so we can only speculate because the Scriptures don't play out for us or tell us dogmatically why Solomon did not have these people speaking into his lives. But, but think with me for a second. If you're the wisest man in the whole world, you might have just a little pride, a little arrogance when it comes to having a counselor called in to talk to you, right? I mean, so why did Solomon not have these folks? I'm not sure. I mean, who's going to give counsel to the wisest person on the planet? I mean, who's going to give Warren Buffett advice on how to make money? Who's going to teach Josh Hamilton how to hit a fastball? Who's going to teach Tom Brady how to throw a football? I wasn't going to say Tiger Woods to hit a golf ball, but that's kind of passe now. He probably needs some help doing that. Who's going to teach Rush Limbaugh how to be arrogant? I mean, who needs to teach these people anything? I mean, who needs to teach them? One hand tied behind my back, conquering the world. Maybe it was because Solomon's heart was hardened. His actions will display that, that his heart had become hardened. He turned away from God. But we cannot be 100% for sure why we don't find mention of Solomon's friends, of advisors, of prophets speaking to his life. But we can ask ourselves perhaps a more penetrating question. What about us? Who has permission to speak into your life? Who have you given permission to and even requested that that they would speak truth into your life? Who are you in community with to to, to such closeness that when you do well, they can encourage you because they see it. And when you begin to drift, that they can call you and say, I'm concerned. Who is that person? Who are those guys, guys? Who are those gals, gals? Who is it in your life that you have given permission to, even requested to say, if you see something happening, I pray that that you will respond, that you will come next to me and do that. In a book I read on accountability recently, he asked these questions. Who has a right to speak into your life? Who knows your sins, your weaknesses, your habits? Who can love and encourage you when you do that which is right? Do you even welcome these things into your life? What I find the spiritual life, most of us are satisfied to live these long-ranger lifestyles. When it comes to this, we really don't want anybody speaking into our life, and that's what happened to Solomon. The result is Solomon finds himself in a long drift away from God because he doesn't, there's no evidence of anyone speaking into the life of Solomon. And so we have to ask ourselves a very penetrating question. Who have we requested and given permission to do that? I have submitted my life over the years, over the years we've been here. We've grown together as friends. We've grown together in community. I've got permission to speak into their life. They have open entree into my life. In fact, they would tell you if I was ever unfaithful to Bev, she wouldn't have to kill me. They'd kill me first. Those are the kind of friends you need to have. Those are the kind of men you need to have in your life. Those are the kind of people that need to be next to you in your life. 
people who will say, Gary, I don't think that's honoring God. Gary, I'm not really sure that's the way you should speak. Folks that will come next to you and say, man, the way that you have loved your kids ministers to me. Who in your life is like that? My specific application, I'm going to give it to you in the front end, is that you would pray this week that God would give you a handful of people like that. Because most of us don't have it. Most of us don't have it. And when I look into Solomon's life, we don't see a prophet pop up on the scene to the very end. Why? Why is that? Why do we see a hijack close to the end of his life, but nobody else at any other time? So as we study Solomon the king, we're going to ask some questions. What happened? Solomon, what happened? And Solomon, what can we learn from your demise? And Solomon, Solomon, I don't want to end up like you. And so we look at the third king of Israel, Solomon, and we see that uh, he is a class a case study of wisdom wasted. Solomon makes a request of God. God comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, I'm going to grant you one request. First Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walked in the statues of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. So Solomon's a good man, but already there's a caution about his life. There's a foreshadowing of what's to come. In verse 5, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and, and, and God said to him, Ask what you wish for me to give to you. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 5, God says, Solomon, whatever you want, you've got one wish. You've got one request from me, the God of the universe. What would you like? This is like God signing a blank check and saying, whatever you fill in is yours. Whatever you fill in is yours. When I was a kid, I, I don't know how old I was, 8, 9, 10 years old, there was a program that started coming on TV called I Dream of Jeannie. You remember I Dream of Jeannie? Barbara Eden. I fell in love with her when I was 8 years old, I guess. I'm not sure. But, and I Dream of Jeannie, if you remember, the, the guy was an astronaut. He finds her. She becomes his genie. And uh, whatever he asks of her, she does. Now, the reality of it is, if you really had a genie, how many requests will a genie really grant you? Only three. I mean, we know that from history, don't we? I mean, so, so really, the program couldn't have been true because genies only give you three requests. They only answer three requests, so we know the program was bogus. But if you had a genie and they popped on the scene and said, you could have three and only three things, what would those three things be? When I was eight or nine years old, I can tell you what they were. I remember them. I, I remember thinking, it'd be pretty cool to have my own genie. And if I only had three things, these are the three things I want. The first thing I'd want was a go-kart. The kid down the street had a go-kart, and he wouldn't let anybody ride it. I'd want a go-kart to go faster than his go-kart. little revenge. Secondly, every Saturday night during football season, my dad and I gathered around a transistor radio. That's all we had. And we listened to John Ferguson, the voice of the LSU Tigers. And I want one ticket to go to an LSU football game when I was a kid. That's it. So I want a go-kart, a ticket to an LSU football game. And the third thing, I wanted my own ice cream factory. (laughs) I was a short, little, bald, chubby kid, and I just loved ice cream. From the womb, I love that stuff. And uh, so, you know, I, those would be my three wishes. I've got something greater than that. If Solomon, God says to Solomon, Solomon, you've got one request from me. You can make one request, and I'm going to give it to you. So whatever you want, you can have. God has signed the check and says it's yours. Fill in the blank. What would you write in there? I mean, really, what would you write in there? Health for you, your family? Numbers to the lottery ticket next week? 
Maybe that the prodigal kid would come home, a fulfilling marriage. I mean, there are a number of things you could write into that blank check. If God says, you request it, it's yours, I'm going to give it to you. What would you write in? What's interesting, in the parallel passage in Second Chronicles, this is what Solomon requested. Solomon says, Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before the people, before this people, for who can rule this great people of yours? God says, Solomon, you can have one request, one request only. I'll grant it to you. You, you can ask whatever you want. I'm going to give it to you. And he says, my request is for knowledge and wisdom so I can rule rightly. That's a pretty good request, isn't it? I mean, of all the things you could ask for, I mean, you fill in that blank check. God, I want to lose 40 pounds by next week. God, I want to have, you know, whatever it might be. God, I, I want this. I, 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 you fill in that blank. Solomon says, I ask for knowledge and wisdom so I can rule rightly. It's a pretty amazing request. We go back to 1 Kings chapter 3. In verse 10, it says, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this. And so God said to him, verse 11, because you've asked this thing and have not asked for yourself a long life, you haven't asked for health, and you haven't asked for riches, that's wealth, and you haven't asked for the life of your enemies, that's revenge. It's amazing how God understood people and he understood them now. He said, Solomon, most people, if they were asked what they could have, they would ask for health, they would ask for wealth, they would ask for their enemies to to be revenged against. And he says, because you, haven't, because you have not asked for these things, I've found favor with you. And by the way, Solomon, verse 12, behold, I've done accordingly to these words. I've given you wisdom. I've given you a discerning heart so you'll be like no one before you or after you. And by the way, Solomon, verse 13, I'm also going to give you the life of the rich and famous. I've given you what you have not asked, but also but, uh, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any kings like you all the days of your life. And if you walk with the sta- according to the statutes, that they've given you the commandments as your father David did, I will prolong your days. Solomon, I'm encouraged not only by what you asked for, wisdom and knowledge, but what you did not ask for, health, wealth, and revenge. Let me say two things about that. First of all, in our day and age, you know what a lot of churches are teaching? If you get, if you get a blank check from God, you want to fill it in, you write in health and wealth. That's the number one thing. That is taught in more churches around the world, perhaps any of the false theology out there. And God says, Solomon, I find favor with you because you didn't ask for those things. That flies in the face of that theology today. If someone's teaching you that, turn off the TV, lay aside the book, and don't read or watch it anymore because it's wrong. God says, I'm honoring you because you didn't ask for those things. In fact, Solomon, I'm honoring you because what you asked for was wisdom and knowledge. And so I'm going to throw those things into boot. Solomon, I'm going to give you way more than you ever asked for. Solomon did not ask for a palatial palace. Solomon did not ask for a bionic body. He didn't ask for a powerful army. But how often we pray that way. God gives us a blank check, and we would fill it in a lot differently. And that's what Solomon did. So Solomon has his request granted. God says, I gave you wisdom. And then we see the application of that wisdom. Solomon's success is amazing. He finds favor with God. I mean, if you look at verse 10, I've read it once, chapter 4, verse 10, it was pleasing in the sight of Solomon Uh, It's pleasing the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked for these things. So Solomon had God's favor. Secondly, Solomon was given a fortune. 
He was given a fortune. How much was he given? It's pretty amazing, actually. If you go to the next chapter of your Bible, chapter 4, it describes Solomon's palace, beginning in verse 22. Solomon's provision for one day. I'm in chapter 4, verse 22. To feed everybody in his palace, to feed everybody around him, Solomon needed a lot of stuff. He needed 185 bushels of flour. He needed 390 bushels of meal. He needed 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fowl. I love verse 23. Man, that is a carnivore's verse if there ever was one. Ox, pasture-fed ox, sheep, lamb, venison, gazelle. I, I mean, Solomon needed that much food every single day in the palace to feed his army and his people. And he had it. If you look at the end of verse 27, each month there was nothing lacking. There was nothing lacking. God provided everything Solomon needed. Not only that, the end of verse 24, there was peace on all sides around him. Verse 26, note this well and remember it. He had 40,000 horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. 40,000 horses. I mean, just imagine feeding that many animals. I mean, Solomon had everything. He had favor with God. He had fortune. He also had fame. I mean, he had fame as well. I mean, he had more favor from God, more wealth than you can imagine. And then God says, I'll make you famous. In chapter 4, verses 29 and following, drop all the way down to verse 34, 4, 34. And men came from all the peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. It's amazing. I mean, Solomon had it all. Solomon had it all. Interesting number given to us, if you fast forward to chapter 10 and you go to verse 14, Solomon had a really good year financially. His advisors, his stockbrokers, they helped him parlay what he had into a fortune. People came from other nations with money. They they brought royal bounty to him, according to verse 13. In verse 14, it said, The weight of gold which came into Solomon that year was 666 talents. Now, most of us don't measure in talent anymore. But let me give you a figure. 666 talents of gold equals 25 tons of gold. Do you hear that? 666 talents equals 25 tons of gold. Do you know the approximate price of gold today? It's about $1,700 an ounce. If you do the math, you've got your little phone right there with the calculator on it. You want to do it? I can give it to you. What do you want to do? I'll give it to you. If you multiply 1,737, that was the actual price of gold on Friday, times 25 tons, you come out to $1,388,210,400 in gold that Solomon had that year. Cha-ching! One point three billion dollars. That's a pretty good year, no matter who you are. Wouldn't you say? I mean, Bill Gates would even be impressed with that himself. One point, almost four billion dollars. That's a good year. 
Reminds me of Shaquille O'Neal. I shared that with you before. Shaquille O'Neal, when he was in the NBA, uh, he was uh, playing ball one year, and somebody he had a good year. And they said, does it bother you that you made five times more money than President Clinton did this year? He said, no, I had a much better year than he had. <laughs> Solomon had it all. He had fame. He had fortune. He had favor from God. Let me issue a warning. The same warning I gave you last week. David was at the top of his game. David's kingdom was exploding. It was expanding. Everybody was coming to David to pay homage. He was famous. He was wealthy. He was Solomon's father. Last week I issued a warning. I feel like I issue it every single week. It's like the railroad tracks. The, the lights are dinging. The arm is coming down. The warning is this. Whenever you are successful, beware. Beware. Success breeds pride. And it could be success in your family, success in a ministry. It could be success in your career, success at work. It may be financial success. It may be academic success. It may be that you're at the top of your game, whatever your game is. Matt Chandler issues a warning about pride. He says this. He said, the lust to be served, the lust to be honored, the lust to be noticed is nothing less than the lust to be treated like God. This monumental arrogance can never be satisfied, will never become God. That's why pride always leaves the aftertaste of frustration. Humility, on the other hand, can never be disappointed. If you want to serve someone, you can always find someone to serve. In doing so, you'll experience the joy and fulfillment of Christ. He says, what you need to do is substitute pride for humility and thank God for all that he has done. You give him the glory. You give him the honor. And you make sure. Well, the problem is Solomon begins to drift. He begins to drift and he begins to float away from God. God had given some warnings to the nation of Israel. When you you go into the land and conquer the promised land, which had happened hundreds of years before, he says in Deuteronomy 7, when you enter the promised land and the Lord gives to you, you defeat everybody there, utterly destroy everybody there, make no covenant with the peoples there, show no favor to them. So make no alliances with them, get rid of all of them. Furthermore, don't intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons. You shall not give their daughters to your sons. If If you marry those people, you're going to worship their gods. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when you enter the promised land, destroy them all, because if you don't, you're going to marry their kids, and you're going to worship the gods of their kids. And it's a warning from God. He says, they will turn your sons from following me to serve other gods. The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He'll quickly destroy you. But this you will do to them. You'll tear down the altars. You go in, and you get rid of all the false gods, and you don't marry them. Here's the problem with Solomon. He began to drift. He began to drift. Begin to drift. Some of you are drifting as well. There was a season when you were closer to God, a season you walked more intensely with God, but you're drifting. The first way he drifted was an unwise alliance with unbelievers. God has said very clearly, when you go into the land, don't make any alliances with the people in the land. But when we look at Solomon's life, what we find is in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David. Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. Why did he do that? It was called a military alliance. If Pharaoh's daughter is living in Israel, the greatest nation at that time, most powerful nation, was Egypt. And so if his daughter is living in the palace of Israel, he's not going to attack the Israelites. And so oftentimes kings in those days would marry the powerful, the, the nations, the powerful nations. They would marry women from those nations to keep those nations from attacking them. God has just said in Deuteronomy 7, he's said it very clearly, don't make alliances with other nations. Solomon violates the word of God. 
He has an unwise alliance with unbelievers. God has warned him and told him not to marry foreign wives numerous times. You can hear Solomon rationalizing. It's good for the kingdom. Other kings are doing it. They won't attack us. She'll spruce up the palace some. We'll get a little Egyptian culture in here. My dad did it. You can hear him saying that. And I'm just going to do it one time. Right. He disobeys God. He disregards God's care. Rather than trusting God to protect the nation, he decided he would form a pact himself and he could trust in his own wisdom. I don't need to apply that because we never do that. You don't do that, do you? You ever think that you're smarter than God? God, I'm going to control this myself. God, I've got this one. I've got this one, God. I'll take care of this one. A choice regarding career, choice regarding finances, choice regarding serving, choice regarding direction, choice regarding marriage. Hey, God, I got this one. He says, don't marry foreign women, don't worship foreign gods, don't have unwise alliances with unbelievers. Solomon disregards all of it. Solomon continues to drift. He has an unrestrained preoccupation with women. He has an unrestrained preoccupation with women, I would say, with sex. The scriptures go on. It tells us about Solomon. If you go to chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it's interesting when you read that section of God's word. It says, King Solomon loved foreign women. Among them he took as his wives a daughter of Pharaoh, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, don't associate with them and don't marry them because they will turn your hearts after other gods. But Solomon did these things. By the way, if you're single, how many singles I have in here? You're single, let me see your hand out there. You're single, the word of God says the same thing to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, don't be unequally yoked. It's pretty clear. We talked about this maybe last week or week before. Scriptures are clear. Wait upon the Lord. Don't say, God, I've got this. When you wait for him to bring the right man into your life or the right woman into your life, but don't violate the word of God and go marry some unbeliever if you're a believer because the scriptures tell you not to be unequally yoked. So watch where you look for guys or gals. Be careful. Make sure they know Christ. Single girl decided to attend seminary so she could find a husband. Her friend emailed her halfway into her first semester and asked her how the search was gone. She wrote, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. (laughs) Having been to seminary, I can vouch for that. Another single guy said every time we would go to a wedding, my old blue-haired aunts would crack me in the ribs and say, you're next, you're next, you're next. And so when we start going to funerals, I get to next to my old aunts and say, you're next, you're next. And they don't bother me anymore. Who was a lady that had in her will, she was an old spinster, never married. She said, no male pallbearers. They wouldn't take me out when I was alive. They're not going to take me out when I'm dead point is, wait upon the Lord. You're single, you wait upon the Lord. You don't violate what he says. Solomon had an unrestrained preoccupation with women and with sex, and if you have that, we want to help you. Solomon was the original sex addict. That's a struggle for you. You're addicted to pornography. You're here in guilt and shame because you're the guy that went to the topless bar this week. You're the woman who slept with somebody you're not married to this week. You email me. We'll get you some help. Solomon had an unholy involvement with idolatry. 
But we look at Solomon's life, look at what happens in verse 3. He had 700 wise princesses, 300 concubines. He had a 1,000 women in his life. He had a 1,000 mother-in-laws in his life. If you write in your Bibles, underlined the end of verse 3. His wives turned his heart away. Turned his heart away. Solomon, what's happened here? Solomon, what's happened? What's happened, Solomon? An unholy involvement with adultery. Idolatry, adultery, he was a mess. The discipline of Solomon, finally a prophet speaks into the life of Solomon. His name is Ahijah. If you look at chapter 11, Ahijah comes on the scene. He speaks to Solomon. And he says in verse 33, because you have forsaken me, says the Lord, you've worshipped the Asterisk, Kamash, Milcom, you've worshipped all these gods. I will not take the kingdom from you, but look at verse 35, I will take the kingdom from your son's hands and give it to the ten tribes. Solomon, here's what's going to happen. I gave my word to David, your father, you would be king, but I want you to know when you die... Because of your sinfulness, because of you not listening to my counsel through the word, there's going to be civil war within the nation of Israel. The nation will be divided because of you, Solomon. Wow. Wow. A wise person seeks the counsel of others. Solomon, did anybody speak into his life? Who's speaking into your life? Solomon was drifting and drifting and drifting and drifting. There was no one that came along to reel him in. Who are you in community with? Who knows you well enough to encourage you and to turn you back from sin? Pray this week that God would give you somebody like that. Pray that you could become someone like that. There were devastating consequences in Solomon's life and the nation's life. You need to find a community of believers. You email me, David Richardson. We'll help you get into community. We'll help you find a small group. You can come to Alpha. We'll provide you with dinner. We'll keep your kids. We'll help you get into the Word. Find a Sunday school class. We've got a bunch of them starting just this week. Start with the Word of God. God is your first call, not your last call, but a wise person has those he loves, she loves, they trust and seek their counsel. In 2000, I preached a series in the summer called The Royals. The royals. We looked at different people who were kings of Israel, didn't do anything with the prophets. When I preached on King Solomon, I've got my notes. Isn't it amazing? And computers are great. This is 2000. I preached on Solomon. I concluded my sermon this way He used to sit right where you sit at Temple Bible Church. In the early days of TBC, we met every other week. He would come to my house. We would meet, study the word together, pray together. We ministered together. He took off like a meteorite flashing across the evening sky. He taught a bunch of our kids. He met with other men. He loved his wife and enjoyed his kids. And my kids thought he was the best Sunday school teacher he ever had. He started traveling some, driving a truck, actually, and we saw less and less of him at church and then our meetings together became infrequent and eventually stopped. Didn't answer my calls, didn't see him. If we bumped into one another on occasional visits to church, he was miserable, guilty, wandering. Just drifting. Got a call one day, said, I need to meet with you today. By the way, when somebody calls me and says they need to meet with me today, it's not because the bluebell truck turned over and they want me to join them to get whatever's out there. You call me and say you've got to meet with me today. It's not good news. I know it. 
I know it. He said, bro, I've got to meet with you today. And he's my good friend. I said, sure, come on over. I'll never forget what he said. What, I said, what happened, brother? His words were these, gone cold, man. Gone cold. He drifted. He was out there. Eventually moved away. Went back to his home state in Delaware. I, I don't know if he's dead or alive, to be honest with you. I knew his life was a mess. Twelve years, never talked. Twelve years. This uh, October, I got a phone call. Man, I got to come home. I got to come home or I'm going to die. So he came home. Uh, would you welcome my friend Larry Woods? Larry, come on up here, brother. Larry and I are brothers from different mothers, <laughs> and we eat at the same places. And uh, some of you, you would, your kids would say, Mr. Woods, yeah. Man, he dies. Tell my kids. Good years. But something happened, man. You drifted, didn't you? Drifted. Yeah. I, uh, more than 20 years ago, I uh, started drifting. But the last 11, I, um, I was in a very, very dark hole in the abyss, in addiction, drug addiction, and uh, other stuff. Um, I was just in a very, very bad place. Then you called me. You called me in October and uh, said, man, I got to get home. Got to get home. And uh, actually, Mike and I were having dinner. Our families were having dinner and came and met you at a bus station. I thought you weren't coming, actually, because it took you three days to get here. On a bus, and I'm thinking that brother ditched us, and uh, he's not coming. Yeah. Took my bus ticket money, did something with it, but you got off that bus. Why? Why'd you come back? Um, I needed to come back, and uh, first of all, I need hearts with the Lord. First of all, I need hearts with the Lord. I had to get myself back in, on track, you know. And um, uh, where I was, I had no counsel. I had nobody to. Um, keep me accountable, you know, I had no, no nothing, you know, I was by myself, and uh, I just needed to get back where I knew that I had brothers and sisters that uh, I had knit hearts with over the years that would keep me accountable, you know, and um, keep me on the right track. And uh, what's happened since then? You came back in October, what's happened? Since I come back, I, uh, I went to the VA rehab uh, facility over there, and I stayed there from, uh, November to May, and um, uh, I reestablished myself with the Lord, got back on track, started studying the Word and getting back into the Word, and I just had, I was fortunate to have some brothers and sisters come to me and ask me to come work for them at um, Christian Farm Treehouse for rehabilitation, for drug rehabilitation. So uh, that's what I'm doing now, and uh, I love it. You know, I pulled out these notes since October. Larry's been part of our family, comes and goes. We meet regularly. And uh, last night is over. Um, he comes and watches LSU games. Whoever the LSU's playing, he cheers for the other team. <laughs> Without exception. No exception. And uh, 
you know, last night we were talking, and I said, man, you're not going to believe what I pulled out. I pulled out a sermon from 2000. Here's how it ended. And I said, do you mind coming to share your story with our people? It's a powerful story. This man there loves Jesus, walks with Jesus, honors Jesus. He's trying to put some pieces back together to his life. It's, it's not perfect, I'm going to tell you that. He's reestablishing a relationship with four sons and seeking to do what's right by God. He drifted, went a long way, but he's back. Some of you are like my friend here, my brother and my friend. You're drifting. You're out there. God's calling you back today. Some of you know that, like Solomon, there's this unholiness in your life that's not right. And I'm praying today you'll come home, that you'll give it up, you'll come back, and you'll come home just like he did. Father, the hour is late. Time for us to go. But you've touched some hearts here, it's obvious. You're here today, some of you need to know Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't care about the time, you've got to come to Jesus. You know about church, you know about religion, you show up to church, but you don't really know Christ yet. Would you confess that right now and say, Jesus, be my Savior, forgive me of my sin. Some of you are drifting, you're a long way from God. You're like Solomon. You're out there. There's nobody to speak into your life. You're like my brother here for 10 years, over a decade. Nobody's speaking truth into his life. Would you pray? Would you pray for God to send that and would you listen? And then would you give him glory? Just as my brother did. Saying he's a good God. I can trust him. He can do miracles. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.